You, you may know that we're in a series in the book of Exodus uh, entitled The Name of the Lord. And uh, the name of the Lord and God making himself known, specifically through his name, is one of the big themes of the book of Exodus. As you read through, you find often God says, I did this so that Israel might know, that Egypt might know, so that my name might be proclaimed in all of the world. And uh, you see that that rings true, even with someone like Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. In chapter 18, he says, Now I know that uh, the Lord is God. And you see it also in the book of Joshua and throughout the entire Old Testament. The book of Exodus, as you may know, is somewhat of a, a um, magnetic north, if you will, in the Old Testament. It is the record of redeeming love that everyone else in the Old Testament keeps pointing back to as the reason why we behave, the way we behave, how we live, the way we live. It's where Israel got their their marching orders, so to speak, their identity as a people, as a nation. And uh, it is paralleled by Jesus' own exodus in the New Testament. He says in the book of Luke, chapter 9, that I, he spoke to Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he spoke about his exodus that was going to take place in Jerusalem. And uh, as you know, Jesus' own Exodus, his own death, burial, and resurrection is the centerpiece not only of the New Testament but of all of Scripture. And it is thereby something that we remember every time we meet because it is for us a magnetic north in our life. We live our life out of what Christ has done for our redemption. And so it's helpful to keep that perspective and keep that in mind as we're working our way through the book. Um, of the importance. Uh, Someone once said, a scholar once said, that the attribute of God that comes out of the book of Exodus more than any other attribute is God's redeeming love. And that uh, tends to be, as it is with Christ, as it is with the Bible, uh, if you want to get at the heart of God, you find it hanging on a cross. You find it sitting on a throne, redeeming love and lordship. Let's let's look to God and pray and then read the passage and work our way through it. Our Father, in Christ's name, we come and thank you for the, the gospel. We thank you for how you have left with us this testimony of your holy, redeeming love, revealed so purposefully and so profoundly in the person and work of Christ Jesus. Father, as we look at the Old Testament and as we look at this record, help us, Lord, to have wisdom, to have guidance by your Spirit, to speak your truth in a loving way that you would be glorified, your people would be built up and edified, and the world would be blessed by our presence here as instruments, tools in your hand for your purposes. Father, please give us humility as we we look at your word and that we would humbly receive 
the word of truth. Our hearts would be changed. You would teach us, rebuke us, correct us, train us in righteousness. Make us more like Jesus than we have ever been before. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at the book of Exodus, chapter 1. I'll begin reading at verse 8. We probably will not deal with the entire outline this Sunday, but uh, let's look at chapter 1, verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, They join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. I want to stop there and talk to you about the calling that we have to acknowledge God's story for His his glory. The subject of these verses I want to talk to you about is our God-given power, and we'll probably split it for two weeks. Our God-given power. Every one of us has power given to us by God. You may not feel powerful this morning, but you have a lot of power. Our thoughts are very powerful. What you think can change your life. It's interesting that the first call of the gospel is a call to repent, which literally means to change your mind. Because if you change your mind, you change your manner. Your manner always follows your thinking. You know that? When I was a little boy, we had a book called The Little Engine, who just knew he couldn't until he knew he could. And he kept saying, I think I can, I think I can. And he did, because he changed his mind. It's just a childhood story, but it's got a principle that's true. As a a man's heart reflects his life, that's what the Bible says, the old King James says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And not only are our thoughts powerful, our words are powerful. Our words can heal and they can hurt can use our words in very powerful ways. Just something someone says can sustain you. You can keep going back to it over and over after years and decades. And then our actions are powerful. You can do something that will promote life. And you can do something that will promote death. You have a lot of power at your disposal that God has given to you. Adam and Eve had a lot of power. They made one decision with their thoughts, with their lives, 
And everybody in this room was impacted by that thought. That was thousands of years ago. And it has an impact on every single person that's born. You think about Hitler, and you get a little closer to the subject of our text. A man who had thoughts and had actions that impacted millions of people, still impacting people today. And you have this, this new king, it says, this new king that took over Egypt. He arose. And um, it says that he didn't know Joseph. And the word know doesn't quite cut it. In Hebrew, the word know means a whole lot more than simply intellect or just cognitive understanding of things. The word know is a powerful word. And in this particular context, it means that he didn't acknowledge Joseph. He didn't appreciate Joseph. He refused to recognize his contributions. He wouldn't allow Joseph's life and his legacy to influence his heart and his emotions and his actions. This new king that arose over Egypt. And his, his successor, like him, in chapter 5, it says that when Moses confronted this new king's successor, it says, thus says the Lord, let my people go. He said, I don't know the Lord. Who is the Lord that I should let him go? And then he, he, he comes back to Moses and says, thus says Pharaoh. So it's the same sort of mindset of a refusal to acknowledge, a refusal to recognize, a refusal to appreciate the benefit and contribution that Joseph had given uh, to Egypt. We all know that when Joe, that is Joseph, when Joe had the dough, he let the blessings flow. Isn't that right? He enriched Egypt with all of her, all of her wealth, all of her land, all of her people, all of her livestock. Egypt was enriched because of the administration of Joseph. God used him that way. God used him powerfully. Joseph had power at his disposal and he used it to bless people, to serve and to preserve, to guide and to provide. Joseph used his power to comfort and encourage those who were afraid and discouraged. It's not just a rhyme, it's a line to keep it in your mind all the time. So you might remember. Joseph used his power for good. But this king, as we see in this passage, he, instead of, I mean, you look at the insanity of his plan. He's got all these people at his disposal. And he's afraid that somehow they're going to join his enemies and, and leave the land. Well, did it ever occur to him, why don't we make friends with these people? We've got so many people, let's just partner with them. They're on our side, they're in our land, maybe we can be nice to them. <laughs> and they'll be nice to us. But that wasn't his plan. His plan was kind of racist, his plan was kind of 
condescending. But the new king abused his power to recognize himself. He used his power to serve himself. He used his power to exalt himself. And you notice the the language in, in the Bible, in the Hebrew Bible, particularly in the first five books here, because they're all written by the same person, there is this kind of repetition that's given at key points to explain what's going on. You know, he he made these people work in brick and mortar. Do you know when brick and mortar occurred prior to this? The only time it occurred prior to this was during the Tower of Babel. And it was at that point, notice in Genesis 10, the 70 nations, in Exodus 1, the 70 people from Jacob's tribe. And then after those 70 nations came, then you had the fiasco of Babel. And after these 70 nations are recorded, you have the fiasco of this new king. And and notice the language in verse 10 of Exodus 1. Come, let us deal shrewdly. Notice the language in Exodus chapter 11 when the tower is being built. The people use the same kind of lingo. In verse 3, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. Come, let us build ourselves a city. And why did they want to do that? They wanted to make a name for themselves and they didn't want to be dispersed across the world. Well, God had already said to them, I want you to fill the world. And they said, no, we're not going to do it. We're going to stay right here, build our city, make our tower, and make our name great. And interestingly enough, God humiliated them by giving them the name Babel. Confusion. You want to make a name for yourself? I'll give you a name. And interestingly enough, this same Pharaoh, this new king who wanted to make a name for himself, is unnamed in the whole book of Exodus. He's never named. This book begins with, these are the names of the children of Israel. They've got a name. And the one person who wants to make a name for himself doesn't have a name. To this very day in 2019, nobody knows for sure This Pharaoh's name. (laughs) When God socks it to you, boy, he really does it, doesn't he? (laughs) The rabble at Babel wanted to make a name for themselves. And so, the people in Genesis, just like the people here, God is making a connection. He's making a connection. He's saying that the same thing going on in Babel was now going on in in Egypt. You had a ruler who wanted to make a name for himself. And so he forced other people into slave labor. Look at verses 13 and 14. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. It literally says serve as slaves. Slave as slaves. And he made their lives bitter with Hard slavery in mortar and brick, in all kinds of slavery in the field. In all their slavery, he ruthlessly made them slave as slaves. 
That's literally what it says. It's pointing to the fact that he just pushed them down and crushed them and enslaved them. And he did it all for himself. He did it all for his house. That's what Pharaoh means, great house. He did it to build his house up, to make his name great. And so when Moses finally shows up and says, thus says the Lord, his response is, I'm the Lord. I'm the only one. Well, he finds out, doesn't he? God wants to use us. Maybe you're not thinking in this category today, but in Christ Jesus, you're a king. You're a royal priesthood. You've got power and authority given to you by God. And you can use it to be a blessing, or you can use it to not be a blessing. To help people, to hurt people. To build life, to tear down life. That's what God calls us to. You know, in all of the suffering that the people of Israel went through in this passage, it says something very interesting in verse 12. It says, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. You know, if God is for you, what's the rest of that? Who can be against you? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who can separate us from the love of Christ? And that's why all things actually do work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And sometimes it feels like you're going through the ringer. And it's in times like that that you and I have to have perspective that God is with us, he's for us, and in some sense, you can't touch the people of God. It's true. You can harm them, you can persecute them, but the history of the world has demonstrated it time and again that whenever God's true people get persecuted, they always proliferate. Somehow they grow more and more and more and more abundant. The more you press them down, the more they get built up. That's something that we can take home and take to the bank. God is not going to be stopped by anyone. Joseph recognized, and, and the Bible, because it says a new king rose over Egypt who didn't know Joseph, the Bible is inviting us to compare that king with Joseph. And Joseph, it says in chapter 50 of verse 19, chapter 19, chapter, chapter 50 and verse 19 of Genesis, it says that Joseph said to his brothers who were scared to death when their father died, he said, am I in the place of God? And it's a, it's a question that's given that demands the answer, no. But the new king thought he was in the place of God. He thought he, thought he could decide who's going to live, who's going to die. It's up to me. It's for me. It's all about me. That's the way the new king lived. And sometimes that's the way people live. We can use people and we can look at people and say, oh, here's, here's a bunch of people. And I can work to make them serve me. Or you can say, here's a bunch of people. How can I be of service to them? 
It's a real big difference. It's a change in mind. It'll change your life. It'll change many people's lives. Um, but Joseph knew he was not in the place of God. Um, he used his power and the authority God gave him to serve other people, to bless other people, to provide for other people, to comfort people, to be kind to people. That's the way he used his power. Joseph recognized he wasn't in the place of God, but there was another person who Joseph pointed to. His name is Jesus. And he was God. He is God. And he's in the place of God, in the very form of God. And when he was found in human flesh, when he took on human likeness, he used his power to serve. He was in the very form of God. But he did not think equality with God a thing to be grasped. What does that mean? Does it mean he gave up deity? No, it doesn't. It means that all of the comforts that are associated with being God, he foregoed some of those in order to serve. He could have stayed in heaven. He didn't have to come to earth. He could have stayed seated on a throne. He would have been just as loving, just as righteous, just as holy, just as wonderful. Because we forfeited everything by our sin. And God could have said, okay, I'm wrapping the thing up. I'm going to throw it away and forget about it. Just the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We were fine before they came here, and we'll be fine when they leave. <laughs> but he demonstrated his heart. Holy, redeeming love. You know what God is? God is love on fire. You know? That's powerful. Holy, redeeming love. And Jesus Christ, he came to this world, and he humbled himself. He emptied himself and took the form of a servant. And he served for the purpose of sinners. And he suffered, he sympathized, and he died on a cross so that we might live to preserve, to serve, that we might be reserved for that purpose. Because of God's love for us in Christ, let us serve one another for God's glory. And just like the passage, this passage teaches us, it leads to that ultimate calling that if you have any encouragement from being in Christ Jesus, you heard it read already, does it encourage you that you're in Christ Jesus? Does it encourage you that every single spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms is yours in Christ Jesus? That you're redeemed, that you're set apart as holy, that you're blameless, going to be presented blameless before the Most High? Does that encourage you in any way that you're in Christ Jesus? that you're united to Him and you can never be separated from Him, that His love has abounded. We, we sang that, right? Um, about the love of God. You'll never lose it. That should encourage us. Is there any comfort from His love? Do you participate in the Holy Spirit? Then, then the apostle says, Let, then make my joy complete by being of the same mind, having the same type of affections as Jesus Christ. And and do nothing from selfish ambition. This new king of Israel is all about selfish ambition. It's all over him. That's all he's about is selfish ambition. See how I can use somebody else to build up myself. How I can use somebody else to get some more stuff. You know, you run into this a lot when you wind up with children. Of course, God love them. I love them. But sometimes they can use you. 
<laughs> and if it's not curtailed and cut away by the Holy Spirit, they become adults. And it just becomes a lot more sophisticated and manipulative. But um, I'm sure that everybody here has dealt with people, maybe even your boss, that may want to just use you to build themselves up. And the only way to react, the only way to deal with that is not try to pay people back. That's not what Joseph did. He didn't try to pay people back. That's not what Jesus did. But he said, I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve. I'm going to lay down my life and serve. Jesus said in everything, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. What did Jesus want? He wanted you and I to love him and serve him. So he came and that's exactly what he did. He loved us and served us. And he tells us to live in the same way. We must acknowledge Jesus daily. He's our king. And we must acknowledge him if we are to ever prevent from misusing and abusing others for our self-interest. We must not allow the fear of being ordinary. That's what, that's what Pharaoh was into. He said, you know, if they join our enemies, they'll leave the land. If you keep reading in chapter 14, he was afraid that they left the land because he, he's now missing their services. After he let them go, he, he said, what do we do? We let the Israelites go and now we're going to miss all their services. That's what it was all about. Serving, self-serving. And we must not allow the fear of being ordinary, the fear of not being first, to shrewdly seduce our hearts away from acknowledging Jesus, our King, in our daily manner of life. We have to seek to serve others for their good, as Jesus did, and do it because it's already been done for us. What Jesus did, He did for us. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. You know, sometimes when people are trying to manipulate you and use you, it's difficult to trust God. You feel like you have to defend yourself. But the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He shall direct your path. God has given you power. Power to acknowledge Him and acknowledge His story so that you might live for His glory. And even when we're oppressed and mistreated, we have to rest in the promise that God will never leave us, never forsake us. If God is for us, nobody can really be against us and succeed. Let's pray. Our Father, in Christ's name, we give thanks to you for your grace and goodness. We're thankful for the fact that you have entrusted to us power. You've entrusted to us a lot of power with the way we think the way we speak, the way we behave. God, give us grace to center ourselves daily in acknowledging you, Lord Jesus, and what you've done with your power for our good and for our, for our glory. Lord Jesus, help us to recognize you and to appreciate you. And in light of what you've done for us, to turn to every single other human being we ever come in contact with, with one simple question. How can I be of service to you? Because that's the way you treated us.
We ask this in Christ's name, amen.